You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. I'm going to just begin by reading in Luke chapter 23, and what I'm going to be doing is we're going to be hopping through probably three major passages on heaven today, Uh, and yet I'm going to be doing some introduction to that, okay? So before we jump into this passage, I want to kind of get into some introduction to set it up, and then we'll look really uh, in detailed aspects at three passages today. The first one is a well-known one here, and it leads right up into this passage, this is Luke 23, You know this is Jesus' uh, crucifixion and there's the middle man on the cross, Jesus Christ, and then there's the three crosses, the thief on the cross. You know, and he's talking about it. In verse 42, it says, and Jesus, uh, and he, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, that's the thief on the cross saying, and then in verse 43 he says, and he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And he goes on, and it it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said to, uh, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. When I do... um, burials and uh, graveside services. I often read these words. They're very traditional words. In a sense, many pastors have repeated words similar to these uh, for, for many, many years. And the words are usually said at the end of uh, the burial. Uh, it's called the words of committal. And I know by even just reading these words, some of you may bring up emotions, and I apologize, but but I, I, I aim for it to set the beginning and the setting because I think these words encapsulate a lot of what I want to say today. It's amazing how these traditional words that pastors have said at gravesides for centuries uh, really do find that they encapsulate a lot of what we're talking about today. It says, I would say something like this. We, we gather here to claim memories which are forever sacred as they are a gift of God. We are supported by a faith stronger than death sustained by the hope of a life that extends beyond this place. Within that confidence, we gather here to commit all that is mortal to our beloved brother or sister, to this resting place, surrounded by the handiwork of God in nature, yet aware that we have a resting place not made with hands, but by God eternal. And we therefore commit the body of our beloved to the ground, earth to earth, Dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in living hope through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And then often I would say the words from Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. I think these words that I've repeated several times, many times, like I said, it seemed to encapsulate this resting of death and yet the living hope that we have beyond this place. 
this really answers for us the Christian hope, and yet it is a question we all internally have, a question that I think probably every human being who's ever lived on the face of the planet would ask themselves at one point. What happens to me after I die? What happens after death? There are many, many different ideas about this, like all across the gamut, depending on what religion you find. Buddhism and reincarnation and breaking the cycle of reincarnation and achieving nirvana. The Hinduism of the rebirth and the reincarnation of the adherence or the disadherence to karma of Islam going to a paradise or different aspects of of different religions or spiritualism and new age teaches a mixture of all these things of potentially finding ourselves absorbed into Mother Earth and joining the force of the universe. Are people seeking answers to life's questions? There are a whole sort and slew of uh, really a, a major portion of the economy revolving around this very question of encountering the dead or communication with the dead and what happens after we die and am I able to encounter that? There's a whole genre of television, of horror films, of of, uh, ghost hunter shows or they're trying to record ghosts or people who say they can interpret your dreams or read your palms or, or communicate and speak with the dead. There's a psychic mediums and tarot cards trying to predict the future and, and communi- commune with the afterlife. There's a show in CVS right now about ghosts. It's more of a comedy, I think, but this idea of, of ghosts and afterlife and the dead and what happens after is a, is a really a sensationalized aspect of intrigue for us. We're very curious about these things. And sometimes we're curious for the right reasons because we have a question and we wonder where, where is our loved ones? Where is the people that, are, what happens to me? This is something that's within all of us. I think God has placed within every person eternity into our hearts and so we question, is this all that there is or is there something more? And so we look and we search the answers and I think sometimes we, we, as we've talked about in this series of heaven, that we often don't find our answers informed by a biblical understanding, but we, as so, is so easy for us, we often think of heaven based on cultural assumptions or Hollywood movies or novels or films, and we think about those things informing our views of heaven, then really what does the Bible say our future Christian hope is? Right, heaven, is it just this cloudy existence? Is it uh, just like, like we've joked about before, is it just like this eternal church service where you're stuck in that seat for eternity, you know? Is that really what it's like? And sometimes is it more like maybe the, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its rings, or you know, the old classic TV show, is it a, a Touched by an Angel, you know? Or different books where people visit heaven and display their stories of heaven, and, and that must be what heaven is like, and we grab gravitate to these things, and some of them are harmless enough, uh, but sometimes I wonder if those things are the things that inform what we think about heaven and the future and the afterlife more than what the Bible says. A few years ago, I think in 2010, there was a New York Times best-selling Christian book written by Todd Burpo and Lynn Vincent, uh, and it was about Burpo's three-year-old son, Colton, uh, perhaps you're familiar, who wrote a book eventually about his near-death experience where he supposedly visited heaven. It says, heaven is for real, a little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. 
On April 2012, it's reported that it sold more than 10 million copies and it had a feature filmed based on it in 2014, earning over $100 million in the box office. And Colton explained meeting Jesus uh, in, the, in the sky and white angels singing to him. And again, harmless enough in some sense that I don't know whether that happened or not. Uh, but I wonder if those things are the things that are allowing us to see the vision of heaven. Because actually, conversely, in 2015, there was a boy named Alex Malarkey who actually said that he uh, had a, boy, uh, a book written about his life. And the book was The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, who had a very similar experience. But he said later on as he grew up to become a teenager, he, he confessed that he had made up that story in, in order to receive attention and never ever visited heaven at all. And his near death experience wasn't something that, uh, that should have been published. And he was frustrated with the Christian industry for producing what he called heaven tourism books. And he felt frustrated in that people need to search, he actually has a quote, you can go look at it online, where he says people need to look and search the scriptures for themselves about what the Bible says about heaven, not read my book and my story to figure out what it's like. And he gives that personal example. And again, some of these things maybe, like I've said, are harmless enough in the sense that we understand and we're trying to figure out what this is and, and a movie can show and depict certain things that we may or may not know to be true. What are we to do with them? I'm not sure half the time. But I think it's important for us here in the church to really focus on what does the Bible say about the future, our future destination, and our final destination. For these things greatly impact our present life. The what we view about heaven and where we're headed or where we're not headed is greatly going to affect my present life right now. I think my main problem going into this series as I've been studying heaven over the last couple of years, uh, particularly since my father passed away, as I've gotten older, I've started to think about this a lot more. And I think particularly my own issue was that I, I didn't necessarily have a completely wrong view of heaven. I, I would say I probably just had a very terribly <laughs> incomplete view of heaven. Is, is that fair enough to say that sometimes some of our views of heaven probably aren't necessarily incredibly wrong, but they are often very incomplete. Or it's, you could say, very limited. Often the way I viewed about heaven was really thinking solely about what we're gonna be talking about today, the present heaven, and where our beloved ones who have trusted in the Lord, where they are now, and I haven't really ever thought much about the new heaven and the new earth. And so in this series, if you're just catching up or visiting us today, welcome, thanks for being here. Um, but if you want, you can go back and listen to the three messages that lead up into this and it will help explain a lot of what we're talking about today. Uh, I think it'll help set up of how this series on heaven is really focused a lot more on earth and renewing the new earth and the future of what God is gonna do, the restoration and the regeneration of all of that, we focused a lot more on earth than probably you were ever thinking we would. And so today we're gonna to be looking a little bit in the opposite direction as we've been thinking about the new earth and the future of what is to come in our final destination. Today we're thinking a little bit more about um, the focus of the present heaven, the intermediate state. And we, we've been talking about, I think it's right, says uh, that the, the life after the life after death is really the future. Uh, but we see even through the Bible, the New Testament, I would say probably has little to say about the topic we're going to talk about today. 
Not that it doesn't have anything to say, I think it does, and I think we can uh, get away concrete truth and hope for where and what happens right immediately after death. But I would say the focus of the New Testament is not what we're talking about today. In fact, the focus of the New Testament is about the final resurrection of our bodies and the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. That's, that's like the focus, like the 75, 80, 90% of the, of the New Testament that's speaking about the future is talking about that not so much of what we're talking about today, though I do think today is very important. Jay Middleton says this, in the end, however, it does not necessarily matter what the intermediate state is for authentic Christian hope doesn't depend solely on the intermediate state. And God who brought the universe into being is the guarantor of our eschatological future, meaning our future after the end. He is the guarantor. Maybe you grew up in a church that sang this song, the classic hymn, for I know whom I have believed. Have you heard that one? I won't sing it for you as I did last week a few songs. Some of you are disappointed in that. Second Timothy 1.12 is this, the verse that the song goes after. It says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Like, I know that my hope is sure because he keeps it and he's committed to keep it against the day that is to come. Like, it's in his hands, not mine. We place our hope, as Middleton goes on to say, in the God of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, who is able to raise the dead and who has promised to renew the heaven and the earth. Whatever we think about the intermediate state, it is clear that scripture, uh, that, that from scripture that heaven is not the final destination of the redeemed. That right now, the place we find is the heaven that is awaiting It is the temporary location until the Lord comes again and restores and makes all things new. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying today isn't important. I'm not understanding our thoughts about where our loved ones are right now is not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the future final destination is the hope of glory. It is being with God for eternity. Whether it's in heaven or the new heaven and the new earth, it is with God and it is with Jesus and of that I am sure because he keeps that. And yet, in this series, we are focusing mostly on heaven. We, we haven't, and to much maybe my frustration at times, it's hard to go through all of these things, but we haven't been able to talk about the other aspect of hell and what that is and what that is not. And so maybe in the future we can get more deeply into that because uh, these terms are deep and challenging. Just like heaven has the sense of, we've talked about this already, of the celestial heaven, the stars or the atmospheric heaven, the sky. Heaven means those same things, but it also could mean the intermediate heaven, the present heaven, where people are at this moment in, with God, and then the new heaven and the new earth. And so heaven is a term that can mean many things, just like uh, the place of the dead, of Sheol, You heard that term potentially. In the Old Testament, the word Sheol is the grave where people go after they die. There is a general term in the Jewish uh, history in the Old Testament that speaks of Sheol, the grave, the, the, the dwelling place of the dead. The New Testament and other places, it speaks about Hades and hell and Gehenna, speaking about the judgment that is to come for those who rebel against God. There is a sense of these things. And so thinking critically about it is very important. 
And yet what we do know is that human existence is not just terminated and that there is nothing after we die. And I think if you find yourself here today, you've probably generally searched out those questions before, recognizing that the offer that atheism provides you, that there is nothing but right now, and after you die, there's nothing but blind, pitiless existence and then nothingness to come. There is inside of all of us, I think, a sense of there must be something more. We were made for eternity. And that is a crucial understanding of who who the human person is made in the image of God. And that's a very, very important idea. And so today we're thinking through the topic of where are my loved ones now? And we've all had this thought and and I also want you to know, and maybe maybe I'm doing too much setup and you're like, just get into it, but I I know this is a sensitive topic, and even for my own heart, it's Father's Day, and I'm thinking about my father, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that I also want you to know that I've been studying these things, thinking about these things, praying about these things, writing these things for this sermon today, and, and I want you to know it's not something that I'm just kind of spitting to you from a talking head or something. You, know, you could probably go on YouTube or find some uh, celebrity preacher that's gonna preach this a whole lot better than I can today, but I, I want you to know, like, I know some of you and what you've gone through. I've walked with some of you through the hardest moments of your life and I care about this stuff and I care about you. And we've gone through a lot of funerals over the last couple of years and it's not been easy. And I want you to know as I walk through these things, I often think about it myself and I, I, these are real, real things. This is real life. Like, is, that, is that fair to like, this isn't just um, another Sunday, I gotta preach another thing and we gotta go to Father's Day. You know, these are questions we all have. And I don't know if I always had these questions when I was younger, but when I've been pastoring now for a couple of years, I guess I'm still really young, I know, sorry. If it's, but it's like, well, I've been pastoring now just for a couple of seven or eight years, and it's like, you know, now, now I start thinking through these things a lot more, and it, it does, it burns inside of me. What happens to us when we die? These are crucial questions. These are important things. Death is a real thing. To ignore it and act like it's no nothing, I think does a great disservice. And so for us to encounter death as a real hard, difficult thing, and yet not the end, that there is hope beyond the grave as we sang about earlier, that is the importance of the Christian hope, that tension there. And so we understand that these things are hard as we think about this, but for the follower of Jesus Christ, We don't come to Dante's Inferno in those famous words, abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. No, 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 we we come to that and we say because of Jesus, because we are a disciple of Christ, our faith is in him and the power of his resurrection. For in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, yes, death is real, death still hurts. We enter death, but we do it with great hope. It's like a doorway, as Tripoli says, it's a doorway to take us to our faithful lover. It's a door that opens so that one day when the Lord returns, at 1 Corinthians 15, it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Death is swallowed up in victory one day, right? I mean, this is, that's the beauty of this. So yes, we sang even earlier, death, where's your sting? It's not eternally fatal. It stings, it hurts, don't discount me there, it absolutely does. But that sting is not an eternally fatal thing. It is something that leads us, and yes, loss and separation is unnatural, but it's like a doorway that takes us home to be with Christ. Revelation 2.10 says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
uh, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's in his death and in the sufferings of life that we are sanctified by Jesus. In fact, I believe the aspects of things leading up to death are many ways things that God uses, trials to strengthen us and to build our faith and to sanctify us from within so that the sanctification process is complete when we die and find ourselves in the presence of God. So the fact that death doesn't destroy us or destroy our hope is so important. Ultimately, death is not natural. It's the enemy and something that Christ will destroy and we don't have any need to fear death. Romans 8.38, nothing will separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, hey, shall, the Bible says, shall tribulation separate you? Shall distress separate you? Shall famine, persecution, nakedness, danger, or the sword? Will those separate you? No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither, do you know it? Neither death nor life will separate us from the love of God. Nor anything, it says in that passage, will be able to separate us from the love of our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we're starting with. That when you're in Christ, nothing will separate you from God. You're with him now, he is in you. Death allows you to go into a place to be with him in a greater way than you are now. And he will return one day bringing you with him to make all things new. This is our hope, there is life after death and I am sure of one thing that neither death nor life will separate you from the love of God. All right, that's, if you, if you don't hear anything else from today and if everything else goes over your head, I hope you at least get that. And if you don't have that hope, and if you're questioning in your heart and those things seem like a crazy story to you or you're doubting any, uh, please talk to me. There's some others who would love to pray with you after the service and be here for you. We would love to show you how we can confidently say these things. That there is life with Jesus forever. Like that, that's a real thing. And so today we're talking about this present heaven or in, as Jesus said, this, this paradise and we're gonna talk about that in a moment but I want us to think about the present heaven in, in, a, in a way of what, what is that sense of heaven right now? Where's the loved ones who've gone before us? Where are they in this place? And it's find, finding it in a sense of it is with God, it is at home with him, home with heaven. The, heaven is the dwelling place of God few years back, actually when Jamie and I were first married, we went on a mission trip. I've shared this story many different times. We went to Micronesia. Uh, Micronesia is literally on the other side of the planet, so it takes forever to get there. And we actually had a layover in a place. We, we left here um, in Boston. We flew to um, basically a nice layover. It's a really rough place to have a layover. It's Hawaii, okay? Typically, typically you don't have a layover in Hawaii because if you know geography, it's like smack dab in the Pacific, right? You don't have a layover there? Uh, we had like a 10-hour layover. It was a long layover. Again, super rough, very difficult. Uh, but uh, we, we had the layover in Hawaii. It was pretty awesome, except it seemed to be at night and we we're supposed to be trying to get to sleep. We were jet lagged, but we did get to go down to like Waikiki Beach and all this stuff and see it before we got up back on the plane and flew another forever, forever to uh, Micronesia. But it was in a sense where I was thinking about this and Randy Alcorn actually gives a story about this similar in his book on heaven. 
where he speaks about this sense of, it is as if we live where we live in the house that you live now, but the water isn't working and your house roof is falling apart. You don't have electricity, it's cold, it's broken, it's not working. Yes, it's a house, but it barely looks like a house. And you get in a plane and you travel to Hawaii and you have a beautiful layover in Hawaii. And it's just this awesome vacation. And then you get back on the plane and you come home to your house expecting to find uh, this broken down shack <laughs> and instead as you return you find this mansion and the beautiful garden everywhere and everything's restored working the way it's supposed to work and your mind is blown like this is the life I have now, I, I, this is incredible. In some way, in a terrible illustration as that is, that allows us to think through this sense of what I believe the heaven is like now, this almost present heaven with God in a layover in Hawaii until we return with him to restore all things and to live in the new heaven and the new earth forever. Does that make sense? It's this final destination here in the new earth, not necessarily uh, living with him in the clouds floating like uh, cupids or something, right? And so we await ultimately the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. But until that time, we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord, in heaven, at home with him. And why is that? How can I confidently say that? Well, the Bible says in a few passages, the one we read earlier, Luke 23 Luke 23, verse 43, 46, it kind of gives this story. Many of you are familiar with it. It's such a famous story. You can just even say the thief on the cross and people know what I'm talking about. But in three times in the New Testament, we get this word paradise there in verse 43. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. The word in Greek is paradisos. It means paradise okay it's not difficult um, but the word paradise is, is really deeper in the sense that it is kind of a sense of of an enclosure a garden it's a protected garden that is a beautiful free growing garden place of of peace and rest and and it's that is what the paradise pictures some of you, your paradise might look different than that, but that's what the word paradise in the scripture pictures of this beautiful park or, or a garden of sorts. Not like the wilderness that I spent in the last couple of days. Yes, it's beautiful, but it's raw and dangerous. This park, this creation, this paradise is, yes, beautiful and growing and rich, but it's, it's safe and it's good. Right? And then the other time this word paradise is used is in 2 Corinthians 12, 3. I don't have time to get into it today, but it's the idea of when Paul speaks about this extraordinary kind of vision he potentially had where he says, I don't know whether I was in body or out of body, 2 Corinthians 12, and he says, I went to the third heaven, right? That's the atmospheric heaven, celestial heaven, and the third heaven, the dwelling place of God, and he says, it's as if I went there, and then he says, it's as if I was caught up to paradise, he says paradise, and Jesus uses it here, Paul uses it, and then in Revelation 2, 7, it's the third time it's used, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so there is a sense that there is a place, there is a hope, there is a future home with God that is typified and pictured and illustrated with the word paradise. Sounds amazing, because it is. <laughs> it's a paradise. It's a Garden, it's an echo of Eden. Isn't that what we've been talking about a little bit? Garden to garden, there's many things throughout the scripture that echo Eden, that the way that that's supposed to be like that but not like it right now, one day it will be. 
And so we look to that, the dwelling place of God, this garden-like state and dimension almost. And then there's a sense from this passage and many others where we get and teach the idea of continuity. Continuity, that you are you now and you will be you forever. And you're like, well, that's obvious. It's not, actually. I think it's very important. For many religions would teach that you don't become you after death. You're absorbed into nothingness. God values you and your body and you are made in his image and you in your personhood will be that way forever. And yet you will be that way without sin, holy, perfect, and in your resurrected body for eternity. So there is a beautiful picture there, but Jordan Moody will continue to be Jordan Moody. Isn't that incredible? But what I do now matters for eternity. And we're actually gonna talk about that a lot more next week, so I'm not gonna get into that much now. But when Jesus says today, you will be with me forever in paradise, he means you will continue to be you with me tomorrow. So, so that's that idea there. I, again, I can't go into too much detail on that. There'll be more to come. But today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not later. Today, some would propose maybe the sense of soul sleep where we just fall asleep. There is a Jewish sense of death that's talked about. He has fallen asleep. That was the picture of death. He has gone to Sheol to sleep with his fathers, this sense. But it is not the sense where I believe where you become unconscious. I believe in a conscious present heaven, a present intermediate state where we are with God continuing to be myself and to be conscious of things and being aware, not just to sleep until the Lord returns. Does that make sense? So that, that's kind of that idea that I'm looking at here. There is also, uh, just by way of, of, of understanding the intermediate state is not the same thing as purgatory. In fact, I don't believe purgatory can be, uh, is a real thing. I do not believe it can be established from the scripture. Purgatory is an idea built off of the Apocrypha, not the scripture here. And so the idea of purgatory, that we need to pay off our sins in this intermediate state, or that we can buy certain things to pay off the sins of those who've gone before us, is a man-made idea. There's no treasury of merit in all of these things. So just with that, we're gonna move into this idea of this paradise and that it is much better than what we see around us now. Turn to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 and 23. We're gonna look through just a couple of verses is where this idea comes up to, you'll, you'll be familiar with it, uh, to die is gain, right? You heard of that passage? For me to live is Christ to die is gain. This is another passage that speaks about the present heaven in a way that is positive, in a way that is good, in a way that is far better, he says. So in verse 21, again, he just says that God would be honored in my body, whether life or death. And then verse 21, Philippians 1, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Do you get that sense? Hard pressed between the, I'm in this tension. Desire to be with the Lord, but I know I'm called to be here with you in, in, in the flesh. So he says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. He doesn't say my desire is to depart and sleep until the Lord returns. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And then he qualifies it, because he says, look, that is far better. Isn't that nice? It's like, like that is awesome. Can I say that as a pastor or a preacher? It's awesome, right, okay? He says it's far better. 
But then he goes on, he keeps saying, he just says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's saying, I, I know I'm called to be here right now. I have a purpose and a reason for life. You too also have a person, a purpose and a reason for living right now because you are here in this place right now. God has a reason for you here, okay? So, so this idea, what I love though in this phrase is the simplicity of it. For me to live is Christ right now, meaning it is eternal life right now. And to die gain. It's almost like the way the Greek is constructed. It's like he says it's two infinitives next to each other. Man, it's almost like, hey, uh, uh, life, Christ. Death, gain. It just keeps getting better. It's like two sides of the same coin. You have, you have, you know, death on one side, the other side, gain, right? Life right now, the other side, Christ, okay? It's like they're right next to each other to try to to build on each other. He says, it is far better to die in the Lord is gain. And of that we can be sure. And it was gain for Stephen. Do you know that story? Stephen in Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven, he talks about this concept when Stephen preached this amazing message. He preached such an amazing message, they wanted to stone him afterwards. Have you guys ever felt like that from here, you know? I obviously haven't preached that good of sermons yet. So he preached such an amazing sermon, the people stoned him afterwards. All right, we're getting there, okay? Okay, so I haven't finished this one yet either. So, all right, so anyways, he, he preaches this amazing sermon and he's one of the first martyrs of the church. And it's an incredible story. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, I love this, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If you're looking up on your own, that's Acts 7, uh, verse 55. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they came and stoned him and he called out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he passed it, said, and actually says in this passage, he fell asleep. So this is the idea. Wayne Grudem says that Stephen did not see mere symbols of a state of existence. It was rather that his eyes were opened to see a spiritual dimension of reality which God has hidden from us in this present age, a dimension which nonetheless really does exist in our space-time universe and within which Jesus now lives in his physical body waiting even now for a time when he will return to earth. It was gain for Stephen, it was gain for Paul, it is gain for you, and it is far better for those who are with Christ right now than they could be here. It's a coming home, it's a home. And I, and I wanna look at one more passage today, Second Corinthians 5, turn to Second Corinthians 5. This is probably a passage we may look at next week a little bit more. We're gonna be talking a little bit more about the resurrected body and, and how important the body is in heaven and on the new earth, what that means, and why the resurrection is important, but before I get into that more, this is a passage that is kind of the, one of the quintessential passages on this topic. Second uh, Corinthians 5. Let me just read some of it to you, and in the brief time we have, I'm gonna look at a few of the ideas. Some of it may come up next week, like I said, so you gotta come back next week, how about that, huh? Second Corinthians five, verse one, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, speaking about the body, if our body, little earthly tent, like the tent I stayed in with Josh in the woods, it's just a little tent, right? It doesn't last very long. It's not a building, look at this. For if we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. 
Right? You get the temporary and the eternal. A house not made with hands, one that is eternal in the heavens. Same phrasing that harkens back to Hebrews 11, that, that Abraham was looking forward to a city not made with hands, all that. Verse two says, for in this tent we groan, right? Just like, is all creation groaning? It is, right, we sang earlier. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. There's just so much here. I get it. keep going. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Like I guarantee it here. Mark this stamp of approval with the Spirit of God. Verse six says, For we are always, I love this, of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse seven says, for, if, for, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, verse eight, here's the key verse. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home, get that, home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Much there, a lot going on, but I think I want you to just take away the simple aspects of the figures that are used. There's a tent, there's a, there's a home, there's building, there's clothing, there's nakedness. He's using a variety of metaphors to describe the death, the afterlife, heaven, and our future resurrection. And so sometimes when he blends the metaphors, it can be hard to figure out what he's saying. The tent, as I talked about, the temporary dwelling place. It's not a place where you get into a tent after a long hike and you think, yes, I could live in this tent forever, you know? Now, for a moment, you're just happy to get off the ground and, like, like, put your feet up for a second, right? But no one wants to live in a tent for the rest of their life. You want to live in a house. It's what you would live in. But it's not uh, this eternal sense of living in a tent. For the tent will be destroyed one day, but we've been given a house, a building, a permanent dwelling structure, and that dwelling place happens to be with God. Isn't that the very definition of heaven? The dwelling place of God. So he says, also in other places, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you with many rooms and mansions, right? Come and John 14, one through three. So that where I am, there you will be also, Jesus says, Right? So this building from God describes this glorious existence of the believer in heaven with Christ during the intermediate state. While we find ourselves awaiting the return of Christ, we find ourselves with him, and that is the destination you will be forever. That is the sure, steadfast thing I can convince you of today. And so verse one tells us, in a sense, immediately what happens right after death. When the earthly tent in which we now live is destroyed or dissolved, and even the way it's phrased means when you pass away right away, it is we have not, some fu- uh, not at some future time, but immediately we have what? A building from God, a place to dwell with him, a heavenly existence with God. That's what he's saying. The tent is destroyed, falls apart, dissolves. We're not left naked though, he says, right? We're not left unclothed. Rather, we are clothed with him. We are with a, uh, in a building with God. And we are with Jesus. 
So that is, is as um, Hokima says, that is as soon as we who are in Christ die, we enter into a glorious heavenly existence which is not temporary like our present existence but a permanent one and an eternal because it is with God and that is where we will be forever. Meaning we dwell with God. First in the present heaven, then eventually in the new heaven and the new earth. But what doesn't change is our relationship with him that we are with Jesus and with God forever. Is that, is that clear? That is what is clear for we will be with God forever. As the Bible has already told us, nothing can separate that. Nothing will separate that. Death can't separate it. Tribulation can't separate it. We are with God now and forever. So it's this first of the two-phased glorification. We are in the process of sanctification. We will be glorified with him in heaven, in the present heaven, in his house, and the phase two of that glorification is when he returns and restores and regenerates the new earth and the new heaven, and our resurrected bodies will explore the world that he has made once again from garden to garden. We will be in a glorious paradise there and an even more glorious paradise in the new heaven and the new earth of the holiness and purity and the peace and the glory of God. We will be with him and we will be with our loved ones who are in the presence with God now who will, just re- who will return with him when he comes again in the return of Christ. Their resurrected bodies, our resurrected uh, bodies in the resurrected created order, the removal of death and sin and the renewal of the new earth. Does that sound like a grand picture that I'm talking really fast through? It's because there's a lot going on there, right? But it's a beautiful future. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that we would rather be away from the body, that we would be at home with the Lord, at home with him. That is what we were made for, that is what we were created for, and that is where we are headed, to be home with him. There's a beautiful passages in Revelation. I will be their God, they will be my people. I will make my dwelling place with them, for the dwelling place of God is with man. That blows my mind every time I think about that that he would desire to dwell with us, that he would go through all this effort to restore and regenerate and redeem my very soul and my very created body to be with him? It seems not fair, for I haven't given him like manner, but that's the whole point of what we preach about here all the time of grace and mercy. <laughs> it's not fair, and that's the point of grace, is that he gives you and extends his grace to you so that you can be with him for eternity. You can have a relationship with him for eternity and you can see your loved ones again with him in eternity, in heaven and in the new heaven and the new earth. And so what I realize, the heaven that we know of now in the present heaven is not necessarily the forever destination. It's the temporary place, but it's the layover on the way to the final destination. But it's far better, it's far greater, it is gain. But what's forever is the thing I've been, hopefully you've been picking up on. What's forever is our relationship and our presence with Jesus. That cannot change and will not change. We are with Jesus in glory. No one can change this. Death seals that fate and is the blessed final guarantee of that as the Spirit seals the promise even now. And it's that phrase that hit me as I was studying this week and talking through this idea of home, right? I read it for you in in 2 Corinthians 5, verse eight, that we are at home with the Lord, home with him. And it finally clicked for me, like 
been thinking through these things, talking through these things, talking about it with friends as I've been walking through with them in their own loss that, that especially when my dad died as I thought so much about heaven more than I'd ever had before, what would it be like? What is heaven actually like now? The scripture just tells me it is, it is like being at home. It's at being at home with the Lord. It's an eternal sense of being with God, our creator. Whatever we know or don't know about heaven, what I can be sure of this is that my at-homeness with the Lord is dwelling with him forever. And that's where they are now. And, and, and I know possibly maybe the most amazing things for me is I've been growing older, like I said, as I've pastored uh, longer and, and walking through funeral after funeral after funeral. Some people I knew well and some people just in the town that I'm asked to do a funeral that I don't even know. And as I walk through these things and the dark shadows of death, as I've walked and held some of your hands through some of the most difficult times in your life, we think through these things and if we don't have hope, then what do we have? If we don't have a home, then what are we left with? As more and more of my friends and family go before me, I long to see them again because their home in the present heaven in some disembodied state apart from me and apart from earth, that is not the eternal state, but rather the eternal place is with God. And then maybe I begin to think about it and I think to myself that maybe, maybe the Lord will return today. You know? Maybe the Lord will return before he calls me home. Maybe the Lord could come now, today. And not only would I be looking forward to seeing Jesus when he returns, but I'd also see those who are at home with him now, for they will be with the Lord forever. They will return with him. Is that, the fact of the matter is Jesus is coming again, is he not? And that means my dad is coming again too. That means your dad might be coming again one day too. And those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. That it is not some empty platitude or phrase of wishfulness, but it's an eternal security and a guarantee of a bodily resurrection and eternal life with God here on this earth forever with God because God has made his home with us and we are at home with him forever. Of that I am sure. Jesus isn't staying apart from us and earth forever. He isn't staying where he is in heaven for now. The Bible tells us he's coming again and he will return to make all things new. He will come again and the Bible says he's coming soon. And will the church respond in the words of Revelation when we say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And when he returns, I know he's not coming alone. He's coming with my dad. He might be coming with your dad, with your brother, with your sister, with your mother. I don't know who that person is for you. He's coming with your loved one who are the beloved, redeemed souls of those who've gone before us into glory who will at the coming of God, they will find their resurrected bodies and they will meet us in our newly resurrected bodies and forever we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says in Psalm 23, <laughs> that means he's coming again, Jesus is coming again, our loved ones are coming again, for we will be with God forever, with him in the present heaven if he calls us home before he returns. But I can guarantee he will be, we will be with him in his second coming, with God in the new heaven and the new earth. For those who die in the Lord, rest from their labors, 
but they will return with the Lord and we will meet them here as he returns. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, yes, we are of good courage. I know this is an emotional topic and I don't aim to do this every service, <laughs> but I want to give you courage, right? It, it says that, that we would be of good courage that you would be encouraged today that as hard as it is now, as difficult as the pain is in your heart for that loved one that you miss, know that their belief and trust in Jesus Christ ensures that you will see them again. That is the hope of glory, the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the resurrection that is real, that he is alive, and just as Jesus is alive, he promises that you too will be alive if you put your trust in him. And we believe in that, we, we give him glory for that. We praise him for that. For that is our hope, that is all we have. It is in the grace of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross to conquer the final grave, that the end is not the end, it's the beginning to eternal life with God. For we will be with him and at home with him forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for these words of comfort even though it brings emotion into our heart. It's emotion because, Lord, we're people and we're human. Yet, God, you have redeemed us and loved us and cared for us. Thank you for that. We praise you, Lord, for these answers from your scripture, though at times we search the scriptures and we desire more. But, God, would you teach us to trust you? As your word said earlier, would you teach us what it means to walk by faith and not by sight? Would you give us a hope for the future and faith for the present? God, would you teach us what this is? Would you allow the church to be the church today? Would you allow us to comfort one another? Would you allow us to come beside one another and care for each other and give courage to one another? That there is so much more to come and so much more to be that right now I will live like you're coming again and I will live to aim to please you, it says in that passage. God, give us that hope that right now in the present, until you call us home or until you return, we will give you glory and we will give you honor and we will repeat the words of come Lord Jesus. We will sing that. We will praise you in those things. Thank you for these hope. Thank you for the courage you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.